You're listening to Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belial, recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belial is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love Maine Radio Facebook page or www.lovemainradio.com for details. Now here are a few highlights from this week's program. I sort of got hooked, sort of by accident, but I realized there was this whole social world out there of people that like to run together, like to go to races together and so forth, and that, that was a world I had no idea even existed. I'm kind of serious about being a cyclist. I'm serious about being a triathlete. So there's fun about it, but it's in a workman-type way. I tend to be more serious than fun, but I do have fun doing what I do. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepherd Financial, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 183, airing for the first time on Sunday, March 15, 2015. Today's theme is active life. How do we balance professional and private responsibilities with the enjoyment of physical pursuits? For each person, the answer is different, But most of us find a great deal of satisfaction in taking the time to run, bike, walk, or otherwise get our bodies moving on a regular basis. Today we speak with attorney Meg LePage and Ted Darling, founding partner at Ethos Marketing, about their athletic pursuits and why these have become an important part of their lives. Thank you for joining us. One of my great loves is running, and it's always wonderful to spend time with people who share the same love that I do. Uh, Meg LePage is a partner at Pierce Atwood in Portland. She has worked on a wide range of workplace disputes, and her clients have included healthcare and educational institutions, financial service companies, insurance companies, manufacturers, social service agencies, summer youth camps, and hospitality and recreation facilities. Meg is the mother of four grown children. She lives with her husband, Mike, in Cumberland. And we have Megan today to talk about her work, but also about her life outside of work as a dedicated runner. We're really glad to have you here today. Good morning. It's good to be here. So, Meg, it's funny to see you out running where I live, because I live in Yarmouth, on the islands out there. You live in Cumberland. That's a pretty far, far, uh, that's a long distance. You're doing a lot of running these days. I'm doing a fair amount. I'm actually training for the Boston Marathon on April 20th. Mm-hmm. So I've had to kind of ramp up my mileage. But I do run Saturday mornings with a group. So this is probably where I'm seeing you. It's probably where you're seeing me. It's we often go there. out to Cousins Island or Little John. And we, you know, we cover anywhere from maybe five or six miles to 12 or 13 in a morning. So tell me about your running schedule. I know that many runners will do... Um, They'll kind of put together a plan if they're going to run, say, Boston. They're going to run the Boston Marathon. What does that plan look like for you? Well, it's supposed to be five days a week. <laughs> I try to take Mondays and Fridays off, but I've had to adjust things with snow and, you know, sub-zero temperatures. There's sometimes I won't go below zero. <laughs> 
Um, but um, I try to run uh, one, at least one long run and one sort of medium length run, and then the rest of them are, you know, four, five, six miles. And a long run for you can be up to? Um, well, the longest run in the training will be 20, but um, right now I'm running about 14, 15 is the longest run. Running for you is something that um, has come about relatively recently, or at least mm-hmm. the, with the intensity that you're approaching it now. Yeah, it didn't start till I was about 53. I'm 56 now, so it's been three years. Um, all four of my kids ran through high school and college, but I stood on the sidelines watching them. It never occurred to me to run, um, other than maybe a mile or two here and there. Um, but I, uh, I had a neighbor who was an avid runner, she kept encouraging me to go out. She ran at 5 o'clock in the morning, which wasn't appealing. But one day I, uh, I came back from visiting my daughter in South Africa, and my time was all messed up. And she asked me, why don't you come out and run with me tomorrow morning? And so I, I did. Um, and I had just um, finished chemotherapy about six months before that. I was trying to get my strength back. And uh, so I said on a lark, sure, I'll run with you. She was training for the Boston Marathon, and so um, from that day, I kept going out with her, five o'clock in the morning, four or five days a week, and um, I sort of got hooked, and sort of by accident, but I realized there was this whole social world out there of people that, you know, like to run together, like to go to races together, and so forth, and that, that was a world I had no idea even existed. You and I have known each other for a while. Um, and your life looked very different maybe, we'll say, 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, your kids are all grown now. Three of them are in Denver. Mm-hmm. They've all graduated from college. But you, at, a t- at one time, you were really in the thick of things. Yeah, for yeah, quite a few years. It was um, working full-time and having four kids, juggling their schedules. It was a challenge, and I, I found it very difficult during that period of time to incorporate exercise. It almost felt self-indulgent to do that, to take time off to do that. So it was it was tricky. I played some tennis and um, at times played squash, but not on a regular basis. Um, and now it's much easier. I can get up in the morning and leave <laughs> if I can force myself out the door. Um, I can work, work out at night if I want to. And so I don't have those same kind of limits. I also don't have limits on work, too. I can work till 10 o'clock at night. Sometimes I do. Why did it feel self-indulgent? I don't know. I always uh, felt like I should be doing something else when I was exercising. I should be working or I should be doing something with the kids or getting some chore done. It just sort of kind of felt a low priority for a while. Tell me about how you came to be an attorney. Oh, that was kind of accidental. I was in college. Um, I was an English major. I had thought of going to medical school and decided I liked the um, the arts and humanities more than uh, the sciences, and so um, decided that wasn't a route I wanted to take. And I spent a summer in D.C. Um, working on Capitol Hill and thought that was really interesting. was with a bunch of people that were taking the LSATs. Decided to do that that summer. And then I just followed that path. When I got out of law school, I never thought I'd be doing uh, private practice for more than a couple of years. But 
it's been about 32 years. I'm still doing the same thing I, I did when I got out of law school, which, which in retrospect is really surprising to me. What did you think that you would be doing when you got out of law school? What did you think you, your focus was going to be? Well, I thought I'd start out in a firm and then do something different, whether it was in-house or in business. I wasn't really sure, but I just figured, you know, I'd start out in a firm and I'd probably branch out and do something different. But so far, doing the same thing, and I'm still enjoying it. So, Well, I'm fascinated by the wide range of things that you do. I mean, it's you know, having known many attorneys, there tends to be quite a narrow focus. And, and you have, you're dealing with healthcare, education, financial companies, social services, recreation. I mean, you're almost the equivalent of like a legal family doctor. <laughs> like, you know, you it's, it's an interesting thing because it doesn't seem to be the way that many attorneys go these days. Yeah, well, I'm not... Um focused in terms of industry too much. I do a lot of different things, but I'm focused on the human resources um, primarily. And so it's a narrow um, area of law, even though it's, it's everybody has people in their organizations. Um, and in the school the education area, I'm doing um, employment work, but also work involving students. Um, and again, it's people-oriented. And so it is somewhat. It is focused in terms of the the legal discipline, but it's um, it's a variety, and I like that. I like to be talking to a hospital one day about issues involving nurses, and then the next day you're talking about manufacturing, you know, welders or some other kind of completely different occupation. You and Mike, because Mike's been on the show before, um, <clears throat> and I think people in the community, if anybody doesn't know Mike LePage already, yeah. then um, I'm sure you'll run across him at some point. Um, but you both have a very strong sense of connection to people you're, and in very different ways. It's interesting to me that you both have are in occupations that allow you to connect, mm-hmm. not only um, personally but professionally. But yours is a more quiet way. Mine is, yeah. I'm a, definitely more quiet when you compare me to Mike. <laughs> but, um, yeah, certainly I have to have relationships with people in order to have business come my way. Um, and those relationships, I've had some that have been going on for, you know, 20, 25 years. Um, and those are really important to me. You get to know somebody pretty well if you talk to them once a week, twice a week for, you know, decades at a time. Um, and I like that. I like to be able to um, answer the phone and help somebody give, give somebody the answer or tell them, you know, there's no good answer here. But what you're thinking of doing is probably the most appropriate. I like having those conversations. How have things changed over the 32 years that you've been doing this? How have things changed from a, I mean, from a work standpoint, personally, but also professionally? They've changed pretty dramatically in some ways. Certainly the technology has changed things dramatically. Um, I still remember when um, we had secretaries who typed briefs, and if you wanted to add a sentence in the middle of the brief, it had to be typed over the whole thing, pretty much, and uh, very laborious that way. I was, um, in the uh, early 80s, one of um, a um, test case to see if lawyers could use computers and uh, they had four of us with a and they gave us a computer I had been using a typewriter just because I composed better on the um, computer on the typewriter 
And uh, that immediately changed things dramatically for me. I knew nobody was taking away that computer. But, you know, all of our uh, research now is electronic. We rarely pick up a book anymore. We can do things so much faster. But I think um, one of the downfalls is that you're expected to do so much, so much faster that you don't always have time to think through something. You know, you're kind of expected to give instantaneous answers, and sometimes you really need to sit back and think through something before you can really feel confident that it's the right answer. I'm sure you work with um, lawyers who are newer to the field. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you sensing that um, there's any difference in the way that they approach the law or approach life in general than maybe you once did sort of before the age of computers when Mm -hmm. we were still doing things, you know, typewritten? Yeah. um, There, yeah, certainly... um, positives and negatives there. Um, I do like the fact that you know, young people today expect to have a personal life, you know, and practice law. I remember a time when um, I really, for probably years, didn't plan things on the weekends for the most part because I knew I might most likely have to work at some point. Um, I think that's sort of turned over that, you know, people have their personal time and they try to work the work in. And I think that um, newer attorneys coming in are so comfortable with technology that it's a, it's a real advantage. But sometimes um, they can be kind of overly dependent on it and expect you know to just be able to plug in a couple of words and find the answer when it's a little more complex. They have to think, go to the tertiary sources and, and really get the background before they try to try to find the magic answer by doing a word search. Um, and I think that's a, that's a change. I didn't have the luxury of doing the word searches when I started. So I had to you know, sort of get the background first and then refine it a little bit. That's a really good point. I know that um, you know a lot of patients who come in to see me, they have access to Google. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll go online and they'll Google their diagnosis and they'll come in and it generates some higher level of discussion, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. But it actually also opens up this whole uh, notion of ambiguity and that you're still only really making your best guess in any given situation. I mean, based Mm -hmm. on, obviously, facts and Mm -hmm. knowledge and intuition and good judgment. But it's not, you know, Google does not give you the answer. (laughs) It may look like the answer, but it's not necessarily the right answer. It's overly simplified sometimes. I have two brothers who are attorneys. Mm-hmm. You know, I come from a large family. Yes. We have doctors and lawyers and such. And two um, brothers who are pretty recently in the legal field, um, they're very excited to be doing it. But I think it's it's a different – it seems like a, a different profession than it once was. Mm-hmm. Somehow you've maintained your passion for it, and mm-hmm. you've stayed in it all mm-hmm. this time. What is it about being a lawyer that has kept you interested in doing it? Well, I think it's the area of law that I, I really like. And every day I'm sort of brought into some new human drama. And they can be sometimes mind-boggling what people do at work, um, and problems employers have to deal with. But it's also very interesting, and it keeps me on my toes. I always get a, you know, every day I get a question where I don't know the answer. And that's challenging. I have to think it through and learn something new. So that's, that's kept me interested. Um, certainly there are days where I'm just slogging through documents and it's no fun and I get frustrated, but 
most of the time there's there's something new happening and some new challenge keeps me interested. Here on Love Maine Radio, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepherd Financial. Wouldn't it be great if we could spend our days doing all the things we dreamed of while gazing up at the stars on a crystal clear night? Yet for most people, and I include myself in that group, the realities of daily living prevent it from happening. We all have responsibilities to our employers, our families, people who rely on us to be there for them. But what if you could get to a place where you're able to reinvent yourself and start a new journey that was more fulfilling? What if you could define what true north meant and find your star and start walking towards it? What if you had the money to embark on a second life because financial worry had fallen off your radar? This, my friends, is what I call the seventh state of your financial evolution. And while I'm certainly not there yet, I'm here to help you get there. It's time to evolve. Get in touch with Shepherd Financial and we'll help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. Love Main Radio was brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. Meg, you and Mike have been married for how long? 32 years, in May. And you've been a lawyer, roughly. About the same time. I got married, um, and two weeks later, we flew out to Seattle, where I was starting my first job, and I took the bar exam, and then started a new job. So there were a lot of new changes all at once. And Mike, I know, has a background in the financial field, and he's currently, uh, he owns his own real estate um, business. How has that worked for the two of you to be experiencing this professional life and evolving as professionals, even as you've evolved personally over the years? Well, I, you know, I, I think we both enjoy hearing about things that we're each working on. Um, we're both very busy, uh, and um, in some ways that's good because no one's sort of resentful of the other, like, why aren't you home? Um, his, his job has been sometimes more flexible than mine, um, but at the same time, he's almost on every weekend. So there's that, and I'm, you know, I used to be on every weekend. I'm not so much anymore. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I think the fact that we're both very interested in what we do for work is a good thing. It's not one of us that's sort of frustrated and not enjoying it. And somehow you've found time to raise four children in there being a set of twins. Yes, my youngest two are twins. So what has that been like for you, both of you working full-time, raising four kids who are all now successfully graduated and out in the world and um, contributing to the greater good? What what was that like? When I look back on it, I realize it was was more of a, 
you know, a challenge than I thought going through it. There were times when it was difficult, but we always had um, good child care. We had um, the ability to have somebody come into the house, and with four, that's kind of a necessity. Um, even when they got older, I had somebody come in at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and she would be in charge of getting them from place A to place B, cooking dinner, doing laundry, and that kind of thing. And that was just a huge help. But it was, you know, it was wonderful in so many ways. It, um, but it was, there was very little time at the end of the day to do anything but kind of the basics. But um, I did have a rule eventually with the kids that they couldn't do more than two sports per child per season. You would think that would be enough, but I actually had the twins were each doing three sports at the same time. And um, there was a conflict with each of them almost every day. <laughs> so that was too much. Um, but, you know, they became, they're very um, well-adjusted and um, self-reliant kids. And I think it's in part because, you know, they didn't have somebody doing things for them every minute. Um, they had to figure things out for themselves. Um, on the other hand, you know, Mike and I were at their athletic events and their music events almost all the time. We didn't miss a whole lot. So we both had jobs where we, although we worked a lot, we could also, you know, flex and go out and go to a game and go back to the office if we had to. Um, so we, you know, I think they, the kids felt that we were very much present in their lives, even though we were very busy. And they were all successful as far as being athletes, if I remember correctly, it wasn't, I mean, it was when your children were in the local high school at Greeley. It, it was a LePage this and a LePage that, and, you know, I was reading the local um, sports news. I mean, they did a great job both in high school and in college. Yes, they all they all participated in three sports a season in high school, and, I mean, three sports a year, um, and they all competed in, in college. Um, one of my daughters found a new sport in college. She did crew, which she hadn't done before. Um, my oldest played field hockey for Bowdoin, which has the best program in the country. Um, and that was a lot of fun. She also ran track. And uh, my son ran 12 seasons of track at Bates. And his twin sister uh, ran for Bowdoin. So the nice thing about having twins at schools that are close together is there would be meets where they were both competing at the same time. So that was really fun. And we got to travel. We went to a lot of their college games and their college meets. Um, my son competed at nationals a couple of times um, in Iowa and Indiana and Illinois. And we made those trips. And my daughter went to the Final Four a couple of times, and we made those trips as well. And those are special memories, being there with family. And Mike has been, Mike also went to Bowdoin, and he's been mm -hmm. a lifelong swimmer. Yes. And... This running piece for you has become really important recently. Mm -hmm. How does that feel to be the one in the game as opposed to be the one that's watching? Yeah, it's very different. Um, and I think the kids were sort of surprised that I actually entered a race and ran <laughs> the first time. Um, but it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And um, I never really experienced that to the, the same degree. Uh, Mike is now running. He started this past summer, and uh, he ran the the Back Bay Challenge, where you run every week, 
and Wednesdays, and he's signed up for a half marathon in May, so we'll see how that goes. We're both going to run it together. You know, I'm impressed with the two of you in your longevity because not only have you made it through um, high-pressure professions, uh, four kids together, 32 years of marriage, but both of you had cancer, and you had it within two or three years of each other about seven or eight years ago. Yeah, yeah, that was... Yeah, Mike was first, and that was a shock um, to both of us. Um, it was a difficult time, but um, you know he went through chemotherapy with flying colors, and in fact, right before his last treatment, he got his doctor to agree to postpone the last chemo so he could swim peaks to Portland. <laughs> so we had this, he had the treatment on Monday instead of Friday. Um, and, you know, we thought we were in the clear, and then all of a sudden, my diagnosis, I had ovarian cancer and uterine cancer, um, and was the first person in my family to have cancer, and um, that wasn't something I ever thought about uh, very seriously. Um, uh, you know, my diagnosis was scary in terms of the survival rates, but fortunately, they caught it early enough. Um, and uh, my oncologist is one of the people that encouraged me to run. I don't know if he did it on purpose, but um, I went to a checkup about uh, maybe almost a year after my last treatment, and I told him that I had had a, a stomach, uh, like a stomach flu. Um, I told him about it because I thought it might be related. Um, and I, I mentioned that I wasn't able to run a half marathon that day because it was the night before. And he looked at me and he said, what are you doing running a half marathon? And I thought he was going to be critical that I was telling me I wasn't ready and I shouldn't be doing this. And I was about to explain why I thought why I was doing it. And he said, you should be doing a full marathon. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not ready for that. And he picked up my chart and he looked at my age and he said, yeah, you're 54 years old. When are you going to be ready? <laughs> so I thought, mm, that's a good, good point. Um, and the next visit I went, he came in and I said, I've signed up for the main marathon. And he was very excited and said, so what's your time goal? Which I hadn't thought about yet. And I, I said, I don't know. I don't have one. He said, you got to have one. What is it? So out of the top of my head, I said, five hours. He said, oh, yeah, you'll do that. Good. And uh, the next visit, he walks in. And I said, 447. He said, what? I said, 447. That was my time. <laughs> In the marathon, and so that's been a, a good connection to have. He's he's also a runner, and so he encouraged me. Well, you know, talking to you is so interesting to me because having recently gone through cancer myself, and also being young, and also having no risk factors that I knew about, no family history, such a shock to the system. Um, <clears throat> I think. It used to be that cancer was thought of as a disease of old people mm -hmm. or a disease of people who were going to die or, yeah. you know, and it is a very serious, it is a very serious thing and people do die and people do mm -hmm. get it when they're older. But then there are a lot of us who are out there who are younger and are going to live hopefully years after having had cancer. So being active mm -hmm. is so important from a health standpoint. Oh, I think so. And in fact, I had uh, some other kind of um, virus, which was never diagnosed before I, they diagnosed me with cancer, um, where I had pain in all my joints and muscles for um, a couple of years. 
Um, and I just assumed that when I started running that it, the, the um, pain might get worse and I might not be able to do it. Um, and about a month after I started running, I got up one morning at 4.30, <laughs> walked to the bathroom, and all of a sudden I stopped short and I realized it didn't hurt to get out of bed. It was the first time in a couple of years that I had realized that. And, uh, and I haven't had that pain since. So part of me is a little afraid to stop. <laughs> I did ask my doctor, could there be cause and effect, or was that just coincidence? And he said, oh, absolutely, could be related. Well, and there's also the, the, just the pure joy of it. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's good for your body, but it's also good for your soul. It's good for your soul to get out there and, mm-hmm. and be outside and be running with friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me, just describe to, to me how you incorporate the running just on a regular day. Typically, I'm doing it in the morning um, before I go to work. This time of year is hard because it's dark. But I have a number of groups of people that I run with. Um, there's a group of women in Cumberland that call we call ourselves Run and Done. There can be as many as 40 women showing up at the uh, high school parking lot 5.30 in the morning to run. So I run with that group. Um, I have a few other um, smaller groups of friends that I run with. So typically I'm running um, somewhere between 5.30 and 7.30 in the morning. Then I go to work. I have run in the evening before, but I, I do for, prefer the morning. Um, occasionally I'll run from the office. We have showers in our office, so that makes it possible to do that and um, run down um, the um, to East End Beach and then around Back Bay sometimes. And that's nice. But it does, it's hard to, once I get in the office, it's really hard to get out, <laughs> even to exercise. So if I get it done in the morning, then I know I've gotten it done and it's out of the way. And we know that you're going to run Boston. Yes. So that's coming up in April. What other running events and goals do you have for 2015? Well, Sunday I ran the Midwinter Classic is a 10-miler in Cape Elizabeth, and um, it seemed a little crazy as we were driving over, and it was three degrees, <laughs> and it was snow banks, and why am I doing this? But I knew that I needed to get a long run in anyway, so we did it, and it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, I have a 20-mile um, run in um, late March. That's kind of a tune-up for uh, Boston. Um, I'm going to be doing a, um, it's a two-day relay race with a group of people um, in September, and that starts up in the White Mountains and goes to Hampton Beach. So you run 200 miles in about a um, day and a half. Now, I'll, I don't run 200 miles, but I run a leg of the 200 miles, or three or four legs during the course of the two days, and those are fun. Um, and I'll probably, you know, I may, may run um, Beach to Beacon and a few other races. I'll just sort of play it by ear. Last summer I ran with my daughters uh, the San Francisco Ma- Marathon, and that was really a fun experience. Uh, two of my daughters ran the, the full marathon with me, and the twins ran the half marathon. Mike ran the 5K the same day. Um, and. My daughters and I decided we'd all run together for 20 miles, and then whoever felt like they could take off would take off. And at about 16 miles, I thought, I can, I'm can. i going to definitely take off at 
mile 20. But something happened between mile 18 and mile 20. The wheels sort of fell off, and my daughters went ahead. Um, but that was, it was a really a lot of fun. It was beautiful, you know, area, scenery to run a marathon. Meg, I, I am so thrilled that you came in and talked to me. I mean, I, you're, I, you're like speaking my language here. You know, everything that's coming out of your mouth, I feel like, could come out of my mouth, too. So obviously, I'm going to enjoy speaking to somebody who is, um, feels as good about running. But also, I really appreciate your talking to me about um, raising your kids, about being a person who's working along with another working spouse I mean it's and going through cancer I mean I think there are a lot of things that you and I have talked about that other people can really relate to so I appreciate your taking the time to come in here and talk it's been fun and I hope I see you again on the road I think I saw you a couple months ago running through Yarmouth (laughs) that's right you're you're running in my neighborhood so (laughs) you and I are definitely going to be running across each other at some point Um, we've been speaking with Meg LePage who is a partner at Pierce Atwood in Portland Meg is the mother of four she lives with her husband Mike in Cumberland and she is a dedicated runner she's going to run Boston Mm -hmm. Um, you're going to be successful and I'm I just very I can feel the the joy and happiness that you bring to your life so I appreciate your sharing that with all of us thank you As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. When was the last time you took a break from what you were doing, from the work that was piled up on your desk, and just looked up? I know that during the course of my days, I often forget to take a moment or two to just breathe look up at the sky, and dream. Terrible that I have to remind myself to breathe, but when I do, I feel energized because in those moments, I'm able to let go of the daily grind and think more about what I want to accomplish, how I want my business to grow. Sometimes, those are the aha moments. If we all took a few moments out each day to stop what we're doing and dream a little about our business futures, not only would we feel a great sense of calm, but we may come to realize that these dreams can, in fact, come true. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com This segment of Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Here on Love Maine Radio, we really enjoy speaking with people who are passionate about their lives. Um, and today I have such an individual with me. This is Ted Darling, who is a marketing strategist and agency principal at Ethos. Outside of work, he is an avid cyclist, and he's so much more, which we're going to talk about. Um, but we really appreciate your being on Love Main Radio, and um, also being a part of um, Old Port Magazine. Oh, thank you for having me, Ted. You've you've actually done quite a lot in your life, but I know people are going to be interested in this thing that we call Ethos. What what is Ethos? Tell me about that. So Ethos is a multi-platform branding agency. Um, We help clients identify their core truths, and then we leverage those in messaging across multiple platforms from traditional media, like radio, for example, um, but also through uh, digital media. Um, So we 
uh, basically help clients navigate um, brand communications and effective communications across various platforms. And why is it called Ethos? What's the what's the story behind that? That's a great question. So when we were struggling with our name, our na- our corporate name is actually Results Marketing and Design, um, and um, we thought that that was what we do for clients, but it wasn't really um, the way that we should describe ourselves. So as we started debating, you know, really what we were about as a branding agency, it was really understanding the core truths, um, the the essence or the name that kept coming up that we were using in discussions about our name was ethos. Uh, what is your ethos? And at a certain point in time, we just said, that's it. Um, that that is, Ethos is our ethos. And so we uh, adopted that name and uh, got behind that in the spring of 2000. When I think of ethos, I also think of sort of ethics and and I don't know, something that seems more authentic and, and core. Mm-hmm. Did, did that? Well, as uh, I have, uh, I had four business, par- three business partners at the time, and uh, presently I have uh, three business partners, but um, a different one. Um, and one of the things that brought us together was this core orientation of accountability and integrity uh, and being true not only to ourselves, but true to our clients. Um, and so there was sort of, I won't call it, ethics per se, but there's this desire uh, to be uh, true, to be true to our clients and true to our principles. Um, we, uh, one of the things that we say at Ethos is that we don't apply for awards. Uh, and the reason that we don't apply for awards is because we don't want to compromise um, uh, our clients' integrity. Our, it's about our clients' result, about putting our clients first, not about us. You do many things outside of working at the agency. You've worked for the Cape Elizabeth Land Trust. You live in Cape Elizabeth. I do. Why is that important to you? Well, um, like many people who become involved in the Land Trust, um, it uh, in Cape Elizabeth, it was a function of something happening in my backyard. Um, and at the time, there was a development involved. Um, and um, I was invited to participate and help the Cape Elizabeth Land Trust with their marketing efforts. So I explored uh, the Land Trust. I really liked what uh, they were doing. They were trying to get younger. I was a younger man at the time. That was probably 10 years ago. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, I got really involved, and I got involved at a higher level um, and really liked what they were doing, what the message was, what they stood for, which is interesting because the land trust brings together people who are, um, you might say, uh, more interest in, interested in um, sustainability and might be more on politically liberal, but it also brings together people who are conservative, meaning they like things the way that they are or they appreciate the natural environment that we live in. And when you talk to people who come to Cape Elizabeth, they, they point to a couple of things. One is schools, but also the the rural environment and the natural sort of um, the natural uh, environment around Cape Elizabeth. So that's important to people. It's really core to people who live in Cape Elizabeth. Um, and so I connected with that. And uh, I spent uh, nine years with the land trust on their board. Uh, I was five years as president. I couldn't extricate myself as president um, during a, a five-year period of time and have subsequently just recently uh, termed off the board. Um, but I remain an advisor on their uh, land conservation committee. So um, it's just a great organization, um, one that um, uh, has a lot of broad appeal. Um, so, 
I've been to the art auction several times, yeah. and it's great event. it is yeah. it's a great event. It's usually held in a nice venue, and I think that all of the art is done within a day or so before it's offered for sale. It's a yeah, pl- it's all a plenty. wet paint auction, so actually the 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 art is done that day. Um, we choose venues around Cape Elizabeth. Um, I believe there were twenty venues last year, and a total of thirty artists who painted uh, in wet paint and plein air, as they say, and uh, um, then. Um, they come together uh, for uh, an auction at the end of the uh, at the end of the day. It's just amazing uh, what the artists do um, during that period of time and really capture um, some great light during the July time frame is typically when it's done. You are a bicyclist. Actually, in the bio that I have for you, it says Ted fancies himself a bicyclist and endurance athlete. (laughs) He trains and races year-round as a cyclist, swimmer, and triathlete. He hates open water, ocean swimming, but does it anyway. He loves his wife of 20-plus years and two kids who are all grown up. He can't believe it. (laughs) True. (laughs) So this is an interesting – it's interesting to read this. You seem to have quite a sense of humor about yourself and your life and, Mm. and, and the desire to live in a fun way. I would say it's fun, but I'm really goal oriented. Um, so everything sort of has an intention. <laughs> um, and so for me, I'm, I'm kind of serious about being a cyclist. I'm serious about being a triathlete. So there's fun about it, but it's in a workman type way. Um, so I'm, I'm probably, I'm tend to be more serious than fun, but I do have fun um, doing what I do. Um, so you have a sense of humor about it and your definition <laughs> of fun may be different than other people's. There's, there's the humor. <laughs> got it. Got it. Well, tell me about that. So if you, you, not only do you work at Ethos and you have spent quite a lot of time with the Cape Elizabeth Land Trust, you're also um, a former member of the board of directors for the Gulf of Maine Research Institute, Day One, and the Riverview Foundation. Um, you're a member of the Lambda class of the Institute for Civic Leadership. Um, you, you're really you're doing a lot of things. So how do you find time to cycle? Where does this fit into your day? Um, for me, cycling is primarily a morning activity um, in that um, I find with workouts that if with a busy day and a busy life, I start early. So I start at 4.30 every day um, and I'm usually out and on the bike by 5.15. And that's pretty much year round, whether it's um, until times of year like winter. But um, Nine months out of the year, um, it starts early. Um, it has it involves lights um, oftentimes, and uh, you know just get out and start early in the day. And that's the way that you know putting the things in that are important first. That's the that's how things get done. Because if I wait to the end of the day, I don't. There, it's it's variable. Um, I do have a, one ride that I do every try to do every week, which is the Portland Velo Club Wednesday night ride um, that leaves out of South Portland, and that's a a, a small group ride that uh, that that I typically do on a Wednesday night during the the sort of proper season. So in the wintertime, do you use a, like a wind trainer? Do you use some sort of stationary um, bike? Well, how do you continue to get that? It seems like you have a lot of extra extra energy. So <laughs> how do you take care of that? Um, I do um, have a trainer um, that I use in, in, the, in my basement. Um, it's not my favorite activity. I do tend to emphasize running and swimming in the winter, but I do keep active on the bike. I try to ride um, two or three times a week um, inside. Um, I'm opportunistic with outside riding, so if the weekend looks promising, meaning anything clear roads and anything above 25 degrees, I do try to get outside um, and take advantage of, of the outdoor, you know, being outdoors. 
There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. I'm interested in this idea of being an endurance athlete and also a triathlete, because it's not as simple as I'm going to go do a few miles on the bike. I mean, you actually have to have a training schedule in place. If you're an endurance athlete, it means you actually have to put some some miles in, whether you're running, biking, or swimming. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that is something that you do need to be very intentional about. Right. And I have a, a training program um, that uh, I've developed over time. And that's, uh, it's, it's seasonal, meaning it's, um, it tends to be lighter activity or shorter duration in the winter, um, more intense activity in the winter to keep, um, to keep general fitness up, but then adding longer duration um, during the longer days of summer. So I tend to emphasize um, medium distance triathlons and um, shorter distance bike races um, rather than focusing on Ironman competitions. I've done several half Ironman uh, competitions, but that's about as long as I want to go from an endurance point of view, mostly because the running is so difficult. Um, The biking is good. The running is difficult. So you're kind of the opposite of me. I I can envision myself running and possibly biking. Actually, for me, the swimming, because even though I know how to swim, it's not quite as natural an activity. But how do you balance all of the... all of those three things. I mean, they're very different from a physical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because um, during the sort of heavy training season, swimming is almost a recovery activity um, because as we age, we need to have more recovery time. But as an, uh, an endurance athlete, you need to be consistent. So one of the, the things is just being consistent, having a daily schedule. I don't take much time off. I rarely have a day off of training, so I'm very consistent. So bike uh, swimming tends to be lighter day activity in the summer. Uh, and then it's interesting between the running and the biking because I'll bike in the morning and run at night. Um, and it's there are different muscle groups, so oftentimes my best run comes after a hard bike ride. Um, so, and I do a lot of, um, bricks in the summer, so I'll, I'll ride 50 miles and then I'll run, you know, 10 minutes or I'll run 10 miles. Um, it depends on the, on the training protocol at the time. And so describe for me a swimming regimen. Um, I swim masters, um, so I try to be deliberate about that. Um, in the summer, I swim at the Kiwanis Pool, which is an outdoor 25-meter pool. Great coach, uh, Jeanette. 
Uh, Hagen uh, does that class. I try to go three times a week, and she meters out the activity. She's great because she focuses on longer distance, so you're doing 300 to 500-yard um, sets. Um, it's not particularly intense, meaning it's not you're not working super hard. It's more focusing on uh, endurance. Um, in the winter and uh, fall, I swim at the Cape Elizabeth Pool um, with Eric French, who's the master's coach there, and that tends to be shorter, more intense. Um, you know, Some would call it a sprinters workout um, but again it's sort of that intensity and then as you move into the long, um, closer to goal events it's focusing on um, more specificity meaning swimming at the types of distances and running at the types of distances and biking at the types of, of distances that you need in order to be um, ready for race day. Ted you grew up in Brewer. I did. Were you doing any of this when you were um, going to high school or you know any of your younger years? No. <laughs> um, I, I'm a latent, uh, uh, a latent athlete. I really didn't um, start doing any of this until I started bike riding in 1999. Um, actually took a spin class at uh, the Bay Club, and then I started um, working with uh, a couple of people. Did the trek across Maine and just about... Um, perished on the ride because it was just relatively hard at the time. And then I got into like long distance events. So I did the trek across Maine a number of times. Um, then I did uh, Cycle Oregon, um, which is a week long event in Oregon, different locations without, throughout Oregon um, for five years. Then I gravitated to uh, um, the climbing. I really started to enjoy uh, mountain climbing and uh, did the uh, bicycle tour of Colorado for uh, four years, which is, you know, it's a, it's a, a, it's not a bike race it's a it's more touring so the biking really started the interest in endurance sports and then I started swimming mostly as a way of sort of um, spreading out the uh, uh, activity during the year and um, I started to do uh, swim and bike events which are called uh, aqua bikes um, because uh, I was never a runner. And in fact, I'd had a back injury uh, a number of years ago. I was a heavier person, and I had a, a back injury, and my orthopedist uh, said, don't do it. No, you know, just hang up the running shoes. You don't really need to do it. And I wasn't a serious runner at the time anyway. But I started to develop envy at events because these are all out of tri triathlon events. And so I would, I would swim and bike and then be done, and everybody else would go out on their run. So at a certain point in time, I decided it's time to start learning how to run. Um, so I took that up about four years ago. This, this Wednesday ride that you do um, with a group of other people, it sounds like that, that having other people who are like-minded is very important and having good coaches is very important. So the community that you've been doing this with has, has been kind of critical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so from a cycling point of view, um, I've been involved with the uh, Portland Velo Club, um, which is Maine's uh, largest cycling club. Uh, I became president of the uh, what we call PVC in um, about four years ago now. Um, and that has about 150 active members, um, male and female. Um, and um, we have a series of rides. Uh, what most notably is the Saturday morning ride that takes place throughout um, Portland, Scarborough, Cape Elizabeth, and South Portland. Um, it can be as big as 100 people, um, which is, can be intimidating during the summertime, um, which I tend to avoid because of the size of the group. But there's a, we've set up a, a Wednesday night ride. There's probably 
10 to 15 of us that uh, do a short, hard ride um, in Cape Elizabeth and Scarborough. And is there any uh, specific type of equipment that people who are considering um, becoming a cyclist or um, a triathlete, anything that people who are really at the starting from the ground up that they need to be thinking about? Well, it's important from a cycling point of view to have a, a good bike and a bike that fits. So I recommend um, talking with the people at Cyclemania and having them, you know, basically fit you for a bike. I mean, you can spend $1,000 or you can spend $10,000 on a bike. Um, so really understanding where you are and uh, what you're trying to accomplish with a the bike. There are also different bikes. Um, there are road bikes and um, triathlon or time trial bikes. So uh, a lot of people that compete have both road bikes and triathlon bikes. Um, many also in the off season do cyclocross, which is a growing uh, and emerging sport. Um, so really understanding bike bike fit and then making sure you have adequate equipment um from shoes to uh gear um you know clothing etc um i think that's one of the things that's important to be um aware and sensitive of how to fit into the community so it takes a little while to understand um the cycling culture and what that's all about um and uh what people wear and you know so there's a fashion thing about it which um it's just more exposure and understanding you know what understanding the um what the culture's like do you have any specific goals for 2015 either in your your endurance sports and or in ethos or personally or with any of the many things that you do in your life? So several um, as it relates to um, endurance goals. I'm actually this is the time of year where I really kind of start thinking about what I want to do. I tend to become unfit at this time of year. So it's important to start thinking about what's next. Um, What's next? Probably this year will include uh, several medium distance triathlon events. Um, I tend to like, I've gravitated towards Olympic distance um, events, which are um, about a uh, mile swim, uh, 25 mile bike and a 10K uh, race off the off the bike. Um, so that's a good event for me. I'll probably do um, three or four of those. Um, my goal has been to qualify for nationals. Um, so I did qualify um, this past year um, for nationals, um, which takes place out in um, Milwaukee, I believe. Um, I am probably going to forego that because one of my other goals is to get back to France this year to do uh, a week in the mountains with a friend of mine. Um, and so um, that's that's on the cycling calendar. Don't tell my wife. Um, <laughs> So, um, as too bad you're on the radio. <laughs> Hope she's not listening. <laughs> Everybody listens to this show, so I'm sure she'll hear it. <laughs> so, uh, personally, um, my wife and I have just bought a house in Cape Elizabeth that we're rehabbing. Um, so, we hope to be able to move in sometime in the March timeframe and, and start a new, uh, a new life there. Our children are now grown, and um, our youngest is graduating college. Um, so that's sort of a different journey that, that, uh, that we're embarked on. And so uh, enjoying one another's company and having, having fun, um, putting some travel on the calendar will also be important um, as part of the goals this year. Ted, you're a Phi Beta Kappa Magna Cum Laude graduate of Boston College with a BA in History and Philosophy. Mm. How have you made those things work for you? 
What Boston College taught me was how to think. Um, it taught me how to uh, uh, approach um, activity, how to approach um, intellectual pursuits, and, and how to learn. Um, and so when I graduated Boston College, um, I elected to go to law school, um, which wasn't really a great fit for me um, because I was more, um, had I, I didn't know it at the time, but I had more entrepreneurial sort of leanings. Um, and um, my family uh, has been in business a long time, so there's always business talked at the dinner table. It's just kind of a natural thing for me to, be, to gravitate towards. And so um, I met a friend, uh, one of my business partners in another venture. We met in law school, and we sort of embarked on that activity together and uh, built a business. Um, but it's always been kind of in that way. It was kind of the road less traveled. It was just kind of like this seems interesting. And I was 23, 22, so it was just let's let's do this. Uh, and so we were risk takers at the time. As you get older, you tend to take fewer risks uh, because there seems to be more to lose. Um, but um, yeah, so that, I think what what BC did was really um, provided the ability to learn and think um, for yourself. I mean, it's interesting because liberal arts education is, is I think, tougher to recommend now just because everything seems so uh, highly specialized. And with my own kids, I want, they were both business focused so, uh, in their education. So, but I think, I think it really was, was uh, an awesome choice for me. Ted, people can read about your story and your cycling and more about you in Oldport Magazine. How can they find out more about uh, the work you do at the Portland Velo Club and with Ethos? Oh, great question. Um, so with Portland Velo Club, um, people can find out more um, at our website, which is portlandveloclub.com. Um, and um, we're, we welcome all members, um, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great organization, good way to get started in cycling. So um, as far as Ethos is concerned, uh, you can certainly look us up on our website um, at ethos-marketing.com. We've been speaking with Ted Darling, the marketing strategist and agency principal at Ethos, also avid cyclist, endurance athlete, triathlete, man about town. You're very busy and you've done a lot of good work for the community, so we're fortunate to have you in and take the time to talk to us here on Love, Maine Radio. So thanks for being part of our community. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 183, Active Life. Our guests have included Meg LePage and Ted Darling. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Read about our guests in Oldport Magazine. Love, Maine Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love, Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love, Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our active life show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Hardingley Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. 
Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belisle is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Susan Grisanti, Kevin Thomas, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Content producer is Kelly Clinton, and our online producer is Ezra Wolfinger. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love, Maine Radio Facebook page or go to www.lovemainradio.com for details. Mm-hmm.